0: You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I write about the Chicago Bears for NBC Sports Chicago and Bears Wire, part of the USA Today sports media group and I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. Today we are opening up the Locked On Bears mailbag to answer your listener questions right here on the show. We'll talk about Roquan Smith's rookie season, we'll look ahead to Jordan Howard's future with or without the Bears, and we'll also take a look at what the offseason could hold at the tight end position. If you want your questions answered on the podcast, there are a variety of different ways you can get in touch with us. First and foremost is the Locked on Bears fan phone line. You can shoot us a text or leave us a voicemail. The phone number is 312-620-8590. And we are all over social media. You can send us a tweet at Locked on Bears. You can send us a message or post on our Facebook page, Locked on Bears. You can join the Locked on Bears Facebook group to join in the conversation with your fellow podcast listener. You can shoot us an email, LockedOnBears at gmail.com. So many different ways to get in contact with the show. Leave us a question and be a part of the show like the following listeners are right now. Let's start with a tweet we got from a longtime listener of this show, Ray. He's on Twitter at... Ray 02376495, he says, My friend, do you think we get another tight end? I, I think we need one. And he wishes us all the best here at Lockdown Bears. Short, sweet, and to the point, the Bears' tight end position uh, is already in the works of some changes. It kind of corresponds nicely here with the roster move of the day, although it hasn't been made official yet. Ian Rappaport from NFL Network Sort of confirmed what was already assumed that the Chicago Bears are expected to release tight end Deion Sims. As one of the moves we talked about earlier this week on potential cap casualties for the Bears. And when they presumably release Deion Sims, they'll save about $6 million and essentially double the cap space that they would have coming into the offseason. So you can already kind of count him out of the tight end rotation. They're not going to pay a guy $6 million to barely be your number three tight end and really offer very little contribution on offense. And so you have Zach Miller, who is an unrestricted free agent and was kind of just here on an honorary basis for you know recovering from his injury. He'll be hitting the open market, and who knows if he has an NFL career still in front of him. And then Daniel Brown will be an unrestricted free agent. And then Ben Broniker will be a restricted free agent. So as of right now, the six tight ends that were on the team throughout the year, although Miller was on injured reserve, so it doesn't count, but only two are left under contract. It's just Trey Burton and Adam Shaheen right now. And yes, the Bears are going to need to add a tight end in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's re-signing Daniel Brown to the veteran minimum deal, whether that's giving Ben Bronicker just the minimum tender restricted free agent offer or you know some kind of real short cheap deal, or whether that's at least digging around in the free agent market. We've talked before on this podcast about how the Bears really don't have a lot of cap space to go around here, and it's not as though they can afford to go out and sign... Really any big name players at any positions, especially if they're hoping to re-sign any of their own free agents like a Bryce Callahan or an Adrian Amos, which would almost certainly end up eating up most of their cap space. But there are a few veteran tight ends out there on the market that I could see them Potentially looking at who they could get at a veteran minimum deal. There's also the draft as is a, is a possibility to find just some more depth at the position. You're not looking at signing a guy to be a top two tight end. You don't want to take playing time away from Adam Shaheen. You're certainly not going to take any time away from Trey Burton on the offense. So your number three and or four tight end, which I think the Bears would try and get up to four again. They like to have that depth at the position. These guys are going to be special teams players first and foremost typically blockers who can maybe do a little bit of receiving and so it's kind of a, a long laundry list of you know tight ends that don't get you really excited you know it's it's guys like Daniel Brown I wouldn't be surprised to see him brought back but you know other guys like you know CJ Uzoma from the Cincinnati Bengals he might be able to get a little bit more than a minimum deal Ricky Seals-Jones from the Cardinals is a guy that has some intriguing athleticism but hasn't really proven to be a an all-around you know, solid tight end weapon. Richard Rodgers, the former Packers and now former Eagles tight end is out there as well. You know, just, just some guys like that. I mean, Levine Toilolo, the former Falcon and, and Lion. It's it's not anybody that's going to get you excited. You know, this is not a position that I think you're going to expect too much action from the Bears. But given the release of Sims, which was quite necessary, and the pending free agency of the other tight ends on the roster, I think we're going to have to see some kind of move to help this tight end position. I just, I'm not sure, I'm still not sure where the salary cap space is going to come. I and mean, we've, we've talked about it on this podcast. With the Deion Sims release, they're sitting at about $12 million in cap space. You're going to have to leave at least 3 to $4 million to sign all your draft picks. It helps that you don't have a first or second round pick that costs the most money. But you have to put that kind of money away. Usually, keep another two to three million dollars just for emergency funding during the season. If you need to sign a veteran free agent off the street, you don't want salary cap to be an issue there. So, if that takes away, you know, six. Million of your dollars. That's that's only going to leave six million dollars left to sign any and all free agents that probably won't be able to pay for Adrian Amos or Bryce Callahan with just six million dollars. So then you kind of have to move to bargain bin shopping at other positions and filling out your depth that way. Whether it's just you know you re-sign Daniel Brown to a minimum deal and you re-sign. Uh, Josh Bellamy to a minimum deal and Benny Cunningham to a minimum deal. You know, Patrick Scales, a long snapper. Just kind of get all your little veterans back to fill in all those little holes on your roster. And as you kind of look at where free agency is going to leave gaps, it's offensive line depth at guard, a little bit at wide receiver, uh, a little bit in the secondary as well, but tight end I think the the thinnest position based on where the free agents on this team are going to go. I would expect the Bears to bring back one of their tight ends just to kind of have some familiarity there, but also look at undrafted free agents, late round picks, and potentially veteran minimum guys set to hit the open market. And the changes aren't too far out in the future at the running back position as well so up next on the podcast we'll turn all our attention to the future of Jordan Howard and how soon he could be on his way out of Chicago keep it locked right here on Locked on Bears Thank you to everyone who submitted questions for this week's Locked on Bears Mailbag Podcast. If you want to hear your question answered right here on this show, give us a text. Leave a voicemail for us at the fan line 312-620-8590. You can leave us a tweet, a Facebook message, a post in the Locked on Bears Facebook group, an email, lockedonbears at gmail.com. And this next question comes in via text from the Locked On Bears voicemail and text line. The person did not leave a, a, a name with their text, but judging by their area code, they are coming from the Illinois and Chicago area. It's, you, know, you can never quite pinpoint it. So we got a, a local Bears fan asks, Hey, Lauren. There's been a great amount of talk about the Bears moving on from Jordan Howard either this year or next. What do you think happens? Will he stay? Will he leave? And if he ends up leaving the Bears, who fills his spot on the roster? A draft pick like Rodney Anderson or Bryce Love? Or perhaps a free agent like Le'Veon Bell, Latavius Murray, Mark Ingram, or Bilal Powell? And I'm sure the Jordan Howard rumors will pick up again throughout the offseason you know it's the kind of thing that typically doesn't come from the bears or jordan howard's camp but can be another team trying to float out interest in a player or you know change value for something in the draft so i, I would expect there to be some kind of really loosely reported rumor about team being unhappy or howard being unhappy but nothing really concretely reported and no one obviously admitting to anything you know in that nature but I do think we are coming up on Jordan Howard's last season with the Chicago Bears. It is the final year of his four-year rookie contract. He's set to still only cost 2 million dollars against the cap hit. I mean his his total contract is 4 years 2.5 million dollars. It's been an absolute steal for the production that the Chicago Bears have gotten out of him. I think he's the this year he'll be the 25th ranked running back in cap hit and the 69th-ranked running back in average annual salary. So, I mean, this guy is being paid next to nothing, and the Bears are getting pretty darn reliable production out of the running back position. But that being said, it doesn't seem likely to me that the Bears will want to work out a long-term deal with Jordan Howard. And it's not that they wouldn't be interested in it, but I think the potential price point that the the two sides here would be interested in it, are going to be very far apart. I can't see the Chicago Bears really wanting to invest top running back money into Jordan Howard. And it's not as though he's going to get you know the, the, be the highest paid running back in the NFL or anything like that. But given the lack of overall value at the running back position, and his lack of, I guess what I would call, a lack of ideal fit, in the Matt Nagy offense, I think that idea is a little bit overblown, but I I do think there are you know he his his limitations as a receiver and from a, a physical standpoint of just not being explosive and you know there are, he can only do so much for you as a as a playmaker in your offense and he can do a lot of things for you and run the ball very consistently and that's not something you should take for granted but obviously there's there's a history of Matt Nagy using a different style of running back in his offense, and so I can see where they're they're happy to have him, and while they do have him, they will utilize him to the fullest extent that they can, but when they are then given the choice, do they want to pay him, you know, millions more dollars per year to keep him around if he's seeking to be paid like, you know, an every-down number-one type running back? You know, you're starting to look at contracts up over You know, $5 million a year, you know, potentially getting higher and higher than that as the salary cap goes up and as other running back contracts start to come out. So it's not that he's going to break the bank for any team, but Ryan Pace doesn't seem like the kind of GM who's going to invest all this money in bringing Jordan Howard back, especially with the number of carries he's gotten, the amount of tread on his tires, and just kind of the general lack of ideal fit in this offense. It just doesn't seem like him coming back is both realistic or, honestly, I'm not sure it's the smart move to do. I think, I come from the opinion that running backs are a bit more replaceable than any other position. It doesn't mean they're not valuable, but it is easier to find competent running backs to operate your system. They don't have to be world beaters. I don't believe you have to have a game-changing, game-breaking running back in your offense to be super effective. I mean, I think we saw C.J. Anderson in the Los Angeles Rams offense show that some you can, you can plug in different players and still get at least similar results or at least quality results. Even if they're not truly elite and, and dominant at the position, you can get good production out of the running back spot without having to invest top dollars. And given Ryan Pace's ability to find running backs in the draft, I would expect the Bears to fill it that way. I think if you're not going to pay Jordan Howard, I don't quite see why you would pay another running back. And if they are going to pay another running back, it's not going to come in this offseason. You know, we just talked in the last segment about how cap space is really going to be tight as it is. I don't think there's money for Le'Veon Bell. I don't think there's money for Latavius Murray. I, I don't necessarily feel that a guy like Murray or Bilal Powell, maybe even Mark Ingram, I, I don't think they make your offense that much better, especially given how many millions of dollars you have to pay for them compared to what you're paying Jordan Howard. Now, if you got rid of Howard now and then sign Murray, he's not making your offense $5 million better. That $5 million would be much better off going towards re-signing a defensive player or, you know, adding a, a more impact player somewhere else on the team. So, It seems to me a lot of the signs are pointing to no more Jordan Howard after 2019, just a kind of a mutually parting of ways in free agency. Get a a compensatory pick coming back after that, depending on what you do in free agency that year as well. But I would expect a running back in at least one of the next two drafts, if not both of the next two drafts, as Matt Nagy kind of goes to more of a committee type thing with Tariq Cohen and some other athletic guys back there. And I think the Bears can find running backs that maybe maybe don't have the same toughness and consistency in style of run that we saw from Jordan Howard, but can maybe be a little bit more effective in the passing game and do some different things for the Bears offense than Howard could and ultimately help them attack defenses in a little bit of a different way and do a little bit more of what Matt Nagy might want more ideally rather than trying to adjust his scheme slightly to what is best for Jordan Howard. So I think the draft is going to be the future of the Bears' running back position. And the draft was certainly the future of the Bears' linebacker position last year. So still to come on the podcast, we will turn our attention back to Roquan Smith's rookie season with a question about pro football focus's grade for the Bears' rookie linebacker. That's next on Locked on Bears. We've talked before about pro football Focus grades on this podcast. We spent a whole podcast going into Mitchell Trubisky's rather low PFF grade from 2018. And I again want to say I'm not trying to sell you that PFF grades are the greatest thing in the entire world and that you're not allowed to disagree with them and you're not allowed to make your own opinions. And I think PFF does a decent job of trying to explain that you know, they are a part of the evaluation process, and they require context in addition to the grade, and that, you know, again, it's it's an evaluation tool based on production. But we got a question in the Locked on Bears Facebook group asked earlier this week from Mark. He said, hey, just noticed that Roquan had a 65 grade from PFF this season. You know more behind this grade. And yes, I do happen to know more behind the grade. I, can, I have the ability to go in and, and kind of see how these grades are put together. And from a general process standpoint, just to kind of recap the short version, a player's pro football focus grade is essentially a, a culmination of every single play of the season added up over the course of a year. So every play either gets a negative grade, a zero grade, or a positive grade. And over the course of the season, the majority of a player's grades are going to be those zero grades on plays where they just kind of do the average performance of what you would expect a player in that position to do. When they, when they do something particularly good, they get a positive on an incremental scale, and when they do something particularly bad, they get a negative on an incremental scale. So think about it, you know, a missed tackle is going to get you a negative grade, whereas if you blow up a block and then make a big tackle in the backfield, it's going to get you a positive grade. Or you make a big pass breakup in coverage, it's a positive grade, you give up a big reception downfield, it's a negative grade, and, and so on. And so those are kind of added up over the course of the season, and then that raw number is converted into this 0 to 100 scale to properly kind of place players based on how many snaps they played, what types of situations they were in, and they can kind of wait for certain things as far as, you know, how much were they in coverage, how much were they in run defense, how much do those things matter in the modern NFL and things like that. And it's left Roquan Smith with a 67.4 grade when you include the playoffs. But when you don't include the playoffs, I believe that leaves him down at... 65.0 65.0 exactly, which does rank 44th among linebackers this season. And and again, I, I I can explain to you the the basis behind that grade. I'm not saying I, I would put Roquan Smith as the 44th best linebacker in the NFL either. And I, I guess to some extent, that's not exactly what the PFF grades are trying to say, but that's a little bit of a, a deeper discussion. But I can tell you why... He earned a 65 overall grade, and what the 65 overall grade is is it's right in the range of average starting linebacker. I think anything in the 60 to 70 range is considered about an average player for their production for that individual season. It's just measuring his production for the season. It's not saying what he is in his career, what he's going to potentially be, or what his tools are or his potential or anything like that. It's just purely how did he perform during his rookie season. And Roquan came away with a particularly low run defense grade. His coverage grade was fine. His pass rushing grade was fine. But the run defense grade came down at 53.8. And I think there's an important discussion to be had about how we value tackles in particular i think it's easy to kind of look at roquan and see how productive he was 121 combined tackles this season and think well he was around the ball a lot that must mean he had a good product you know that must mean he was doing a lot of good things and yes it's it is a good thing to tackle but what pro football focus tries to do is look at each of those individual tackles and say, did he do anything great here or did the ball carrier come to him? And he did what he was expected to do as a linebacker. And when I look at his run defense grade in particular, pro football focus kind of splits it up by, you know, kind of in the back, we can see positive run impact and negative run impact percentages. And he had, a slightly above average percentage of positive run impacts and a much higher above average percentage of negative run impacts. You're looking at about 12.5% of his plays positive in the run defense, 17% negative in the run defense, which leaves the vast majority in the middle at that zero neutral level. So what you're seeing with Roquan is is the boom and the bust, the flash plays where he uses that speed to knife into the backfield and make a big tackle for a loss. And he gets credit for those, and and those help keep his grade up. But the higher percentage is the negative plays when in run defense in particular, he'll get caught up on a block and he'll get blocked six, seven yards off the line of scrimmage. And then when the running back gets to him, he gets off the block and makes the tackle. And so it goes down in the tackle sheet as him making that play. But from a run defense standpoint, he didn't really do much in this example. He just got blocked, waited for the ball carry to come to him, and then made the tackle. He did what you know, either either gave up ground and, and was a negative or would be a zero of just only doing the minimum of what you would expect a linebacker to do. But... A couple other things kind of play into his grade as well. I look from a coverage standpoint. He was the third most targeted linebacker in coverage this season, including the playoffs. He was thrown at 85 times this year and allowed 65 catches for 652 yards. It's about 10 yards per reception. One touchdown, two picks, three pass breakups. Good for a 89.8 passer rating when targeted. And some of this comes back into that tackle discussion we were having, where if you look back at the Buffalo Bills game, I believe PFF gave him 12 tackles in that game. The NFL charts it a little bit differently. They also had him with 12 in that game, it turned out, 10 solo and two combined, or and two assisted. It was the second most tackles that the NFL had given him in a game, and you might think, well, 12 tackles against the Bills, wow, he was really flying out there, but What you can look a little more closer and see that in that Bills game, Roquan Smith was targeted 11 times and gave up 11 catches for 100 yards. So when the ball's thrown at him 11 times, it's not that hard to make a tackle on those types of plays and rack up those tackles for 9.1 yards downfield per play ended up giving up a 75 yarder in that as well and all of a sudden the 12 tackles aren't an indication of playing well but actually an indication of giving up so many catches in coverage and then just making the tackle afterwards so it's kind of how that the tackle number can be a little bit of a, a misnomer there. There were too many times when you're seeing Roquan Smith allow, you know, 52 yards, 50 yards, 68 yards, 87. Yeah, that 100-yard one. And it, it adds up over the course of the season. His missed tackles also added up, although they they really did get better as the year went on. He finished with 11 missed tackles on the season. That's not the most in the NFL. I believe the league leader at linebacker had 24, but 11 missed tackles would put him tied at 27th most, which is still more than you want out of your linebacker, but not horribly detrimental. But it was particularly a bigger issue earlier on. He missed two in week two, two in week three, and two in week six. So, So, more than half of his missed tackles came in his first five games. And then over the last few games of the season, he missed one tackle since the Rams game. So he, he got better as the year went on. And you could kind of see that generally in his pro football focus grades by game. But on a snap-to-snap basis over the course of the year... His run defense grade was below average, and everything else was slightly above average, and it kind of all came together to an overall grade of 65 that was much closer to an average NFL linebacker in terms of how he produced on every snap. doesn't mean that he's not a promising young rookie. doesn't mean that he doesn't have a ton of potential. It certainly points to more room for improvement, and again, I'm not trying to sell you on it being the perfect evaluation system and the only evaluation system you should listen to. You're allowed to make your own opinions based on film and based on other numbers and based on what you see. And I certainly encourage all of that, but I do see the value in taking the pro football focus grade into your evaluation, at least uh, understanding where that is coming from and, and being able to kind of balance that and kind of check based on what you see. Does does that match up? And if it doesn't match up, why doesn't it match up? What are you valuing differently than they might value? that That's certainly a part of a lot of the differences that some people will see with PFF grades. And, again, it's perfectly fine. I'm not trying to sell you on it or anything. I'm just explaining and answering the question of why Pro Football Focus came to the evaluation they did from a grade standpoint on roquan smith i once again want to thank everyone who gave us a question this week for the mailbag episode if you want to ask yours you've heard the number on here already a couple times today 312-620-8590 give us a text give us a voicemail tweet us at locked on bears locked on bears facebook group you can post in there you can send us an email locked on bears at gmail.com there's no excuse for you to not get your Bears questions in here on your favorite Daily Chicago Bears podcast. There's also no excuse to not subscribe on whatever podcast app you use to listen to this show. It's the best way to keep up with all of our Daily Chicago Bears news and analysis all throughout the offseason. We'd also really appreciate it if you would tell a friend about Locked On Bears. I know the offseason can be long can be difficult to get through with no bears football on sunday the bears news is limited throughout the week especially geez when we get to the summer it can get particularly brutal but when you and your fellow bears fans have some good old-fashioned bears talk in your ears on this podcast I hope it makes it easier to bear down